last night, or yeah, last uh, yesterday afternoon, um, my mother's husband Charlie passed away, and um, over at Mum's house last night about ten o'clock, and uh, at the end of the day, tired. And I asked her, Mom, how do you feel? Are you okay? And she said, Alan, I just am so relieved that Charlie made his peace with God. And I know he's safe in the arms of Jesus. I'm so relieved that he came to Jesus. We uh, begin today a brand new series for the fall called Come to Jesus. And it may sound, uh, you know, rather generic, but I pray that over the next few weeks that you will find yourself back into a fresh, deep, rich relationship with Christ where your heart is refreshed and nourished. And if you're here this morning feeling feeling far from God, my prayer is that you will experience the Lord all over again in a brand new way. I wonder if we could have that uh, first slide up there, Scotty. This, uh, this picture that you see here, first of all, Marilyn, do you recognize it? Over at least 30 years ago, I was visiting with Marilyn one evening and um, She'd just gone back from a hard day's work at Aikens Macaulay Thorvaldson, working as a paralegal, worn out, tired. And uh, she said, look at this picture on the wall. And this is the picture. This is it exactly. And then she put on the words, uh, put on the song by Chuck Gerard called Slow Down. Do you remember that? I don't know if you remember that, Marilyn, over 30 years ago. And the words um, of that song are very simple and sung at a very, very, very slow tempo. And the Chuck sings, in the midst of my confusion, in the time of desperate need, when I'm thinking not too clearly, a gentle voice does intercede. Slow down. Slow down. Be still. Be still and wait on the Spirit of the Lord. Look at, those, look at that picture now. I'm going to do to you what Marilyn did to me that night. Look at the picture and listen to these words. Slow down, slow down, be still. Slow down and hear his voice and know that he is God. In the time of tribulation when I'm feeling so unsure... When things are pressing in about me, comes a gentle voice so still, so pure. Slow down. Slow down. Be still. Be still and wait on the Spirit of the Lord. Slow down and hear his voice and know that he is God. That night is imprinted indelibly in my mind because it was the first time as a young Christian and I was very, very young then. 
So are you, Marilyn. <laughs> Very young. But it was the first time in my life that I understood that as a child of God, I could come to Jesus with all of my struggles, with all of my problems, with all of my anxiety. Anybody here ever experienced anxiety? With all my fear, with all my frustration. You ever experienced frustration at people in your life? I could come to Jesus. All my frustrations I could bring to Jesus. All the questions that I had, all the, all the difficulties that I had, I, I could bring it to Jesus. It was a turning point in my life. It became a habit of mine. Now, I, I never did go out and buy that picture, and I, I, I might have bought the Chuck Gerard record. <laughs> Those days were records. Uh, but I, I always made a point to practice this coming to Jesus and resting in his presence. Jesus wants you and me to do this, and believe it or not, this idea of coming to Jesus to slow down and hear the voice of God, it actually wasn't Marilyn's idea. It was Jesus' idea. Look what he says here. Would you read that with me? Because I think some of you know this verse really well, and, or these verses, and I think maybe you should think of memorizing these. Uh, Janet, Marilyn, and Arlene Sunday School, this, these verses, really important. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, doesn't that sound appealing? Doesn't that sound even better than a Hawaiian vacation? Okay, well, <laughs> really, but really, when you think about it, in the midst of anxiety and strife and difficulty and problems, and, and I know not what, doesn't this, isn't this appealing? You can come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. You can lay your burden down before Christ. You can give it to Jesus. This is, my friend, the good news of the gospel. This is the Christian life that we're talking about here. This is, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. You have that privilege and that right to come to Jesus with your burden. And so that's what we'll be talking about over the next four weeks. We'll talk about the lost, letting the lost come to Jesus. And this morning it'll be let the children come to Jesus. We'll talk about letting the men come to Jesus. Let the women come to Jesus. If you want to understand the New Testament, my friends, it's all about these accounts of people coming to Jesus. Did you know that? That's what the, that's what the, the Gospels are all about. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all about people who come to Jesus and what happens when they come to him. What kind of transformation takes place in their life? And I want you to know, there is no faith, no religious belief on the face of the earth that is like this one. Because Jesus cares about having relationship with all people, loving all people. And Jesus invites you today to come to him. You need wisdom or guidance for your life? You, need, you want truth? You want answers for your life? You want meaning to your life? Come to Jesus. Life doesn't make sense. You're frustrated and angry right now. Come to Jesus. 
And the Bible is very clear. Jesus doesn't say, when you get here, I'm going to thump you one for being so... No, he doesn't do that. Come to Jesus, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to, how to make it in this life. How many would like the help of Jesus? Because it's, it's difficult. How many, how many would agree this life is not easy? And there, it seems that every, t- every, every step you take, there's, there's a curveball thrown at you. And just, how, how do I deal with this? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Now, we're not in the habit of doing that. How many would agree that that's probably the truth? We, we're not in the habit of coming to Jesus first. We, we're likely to go to the pastor or, or, or David Maines or, or go to the doctor or the psychiatrist or whoever. We're not in the habit of coming to Jesus. I want to talk to you about how to do that. Brandy was marching in a gay pride parade in Toronto when God got a hold of him. He'd been high for four days, and his buzz suddenly evaporated as he heard a voice in his head say, Randy, you don't have to live like this. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was God offering him a way out. He put down his gay pride, uh, gay pride sign right there. He just, just put it down and walked away from the parade. And he sat down in a nearby stairwell and repented of his rebellion. And he gave his heart to Jesus Christ and started walking out of that homosexual lifestyle that very day. And today, several years later, he's married with a child (laughs) and living a very different kind of life. Not just on the outside, but his heart was changed from the inside out. What happened to Randy? He heard the call of Jesus, come to me. And that's exactly what Randy did. I'm going to tell you right now that the Spirit of God may be speaking to your heart right now. But I do know this, that through the course of the week, day by day, you will hear that gentle, still, small voice calling your name, saying, come, come away. Come apart from the craziness of life and, and let me help you. Let me talk to you. Let me comfort you. This morning, and we look, look at that video clip in just a moment. This morning, I want to talk to you about letting the children come to Jesus. And Scotty, if you'd show that clip right now.
When I was uh, in Sunday school, there was a picture hanging on the wall in our Sunday school class, and Scott, if you could just go there, thanks. Does anybody remember that picture from your childhood? And uh, there's a little caption under it. It said, suffer the little children to come unto me. That's, that's King James English. I had no idea what it meant to, let, to suffer. <laughs> but I like the idea of coming to Jesus. Let the children come to Jesus. This idea of being able to come to Jesus and be embraced and accepted and loved by him, a very powerful, powerful effect on me. Because I recognized just through this picture that Jesus cared about little Alan Duncalf. And I was probably only about four years old. My grandparents made sure that, that somehow we got to church. This picture, little children coming to Jesus, a strong, strong image for me. In fact, it's so strong that uh, back, I don't know, was it 10 years ago, I saw a picture in the, in the hallway just outside the nursery. I don't know if anybody here has seen that picture. But it's, a, it's kind of the same version of this, where all these little children from all over the world are coming to Jesus. And I was so moved by it that I decided I wanted to buy it. And um, I was talking to Denny about it back then. And next thing I know, he ran over to that shop and he paid for half of it. And I paid for the other half so we could have that picture up in the church, hoping that it would have the same effect on the little children in our church, that they would see that picture of Jesus embracing and welcoming the little children unto him. Now, this, uh, this picture actually flows out of the next passage that we're about to look at. And um, the, the disciples are, are building the kingdom of God. And Scotty, if you could just change that. The people were, were bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the, when the disciples saw this, they rebuked the people, saying, you know, gee, we're too busy for this. Get these kids out of here. Shut those kids up. Do we have any kids in here? Out <laughs> to the nursery. This is sort of the feeling. Get the kids. The kids are a nuisance. They're making noise. Now, Jesus didn't have the same opinion as the disciples. The disciples saw the kids as a nuisance, but Jesus had quite the opposite feeling about kids. Jesus called the children to him and said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so this morning I want to talk to you about letting the children come to Jesus. I want to tell you this. Our work as Christians, our work is to let children have access to Christ. Did you hear what I said? Our job as a church is to let and make sure that children have access to Jesus. Now, you want to make Jesus angry? In the scriptures, it doesn't, we don't have very many accounts of Jesus getting angry. But I'll tell you this, if you want to make Jesus really angry, then you prevent people from coming to Christ. And in this case, the thing that made Jesus angry is that the disciples were preventing the children from coming to Christ. All the times in the scripture where Jesus gets really angry, it's because people are trying to prevent the people from coming to Jesus, or coming to God. And we'll talk more about that in the next few weeks. But here, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16, basically the same account as this. Uh, in the message translation, says this. 
The people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them, and the disciples shooed them off. But Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. You hear that? Don't get between me and the kids. Let those kids come to me, because these children are the very center of life in the kingdom. Isn't that fantastic? I'm going to email that to you, Marilyn. Matthew 10, 13 to 16 from the message. These children are at the very center of the life of the kingdom. Taryn, it's what we're all about here. That word irate, in, 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 the, in the Greek, it, it's, it's the word resent. Jesus resented them. And you want to translate that word, it, it's, it's, he was furious. He was, he was very displeased. He was ticked off, if you want to use the vernacular. He was offended, really angry, that anybody would stop these kids from coming to Jesus. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart this morning because you need to understand that the very center of who we are, what we are as a church, is we are a people who help facilitate the coming of children to Jesus. Does this make sense? This is why we have a Sunday school program, which, by the way, takes place in the second service. This is why we have a youth ministry. This is why we invest money into kids' clubs. This is why we, we do this kind of ministry, because... We believe that this is God's will. In fact, we believe that it'll make God angry. It'll make Christ angry if we don't do the job of letting children come to Jesus. Because that's what the scripture says. Our job is to get the kids to Jesus, to let them come. I want to tell you this. Children are far more spiritually attuned to spiritual things than adults are. Would Would you agree with that? I think you know that, don't you? Children are far more open to God than adults are. And it, 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 there's a reason for that. And it's not because children are dumb. I may know that. Children may not have the life experience that you have, and they may, not, they may not have the training and the education that you have, but I'm going to tell you this. Spiritually, they're very intelligent and very aware of their need. I remember when I became a Christian at the age of eight, I knew that I knew that I knew that I was a sinner and I needed Jesus Christ to wash away my sins. I wasn't a drug addict. I wasn't an adulterer or fornicator. I hadn't robbed any banks. As far as I knew, I hadn't, I hadn't blasphemed God in any way. I knew, that, I knew that I hadn't broken the Sabbath as far, as far as I knew. I was eight years old. But I knew that I needed Christ. My heart was truly open to God. Barna Research polled over 4,200 people, over 3,000 adults and 1,200 youths, And the vast majority of those who were saved experienced the conversion during their childhood, before, listen to this, before the age of 14. And so this is what they discovered. Between the ages of 5 to 13, 32% of those who were saved were saved at that age, between the ages of 5 to 13. Between the ages of 14 to 18, it was only 4%. And over 19, only 6%. And so you understand, you recognize then how important it is that children get opportunity, have opportunity to come to Jesus where they can experience him and know him. I'm going to tell you, the reason why children are are open to Christ is because their hearts have not yet been calloused or hardened by sin. Do you get that? As children grow up, become young adults, 
They start excusing their behavior. They start excusing their sin. And next thing you know, their hearts are hard and calloused. And they discover a way to live without God. And it leads, of course, to great heartache and pain. A lot of churches nowadays have, have uh, tried to adopt new philosophies of ministry, new ways of doing ministries. And a lot of churches are, uh, are not putting the emphasis on children's ministry anymore. If there's any kind of ministry happening, it's more like, let's just babysit the kids and keep them out of our hair so that they're not running wild in the church. I want you to know that that is not what we believe here. We believe that children need to be given opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We need to teach them. We need to instruct them. And that's why the teachers we have, the workers we have, are so passionate about it. And that's why we ask you to get involved, to, to have a care. And you say, well, I don't know if I've got time for it. Listen, you cannot afford not to get involved because we're talking about eternal issues now. Edward Kimball, back in, in 1858, a shoe shop assistant and a Sunday school teacher in Chicago, he loved kids, and he voted his, his, one, his one day, Sunday, his one day off, he devoted it to reaching out to kids. And he spent hours of his free time visiting the young street urchins in Chicago's inner city, trying to win them for Christ. And through him, a young boy by the name of D.L. Moody got saved in 1858. And I don't know if you know who D.L. Moody is, but he was one of the great evangelists of the 1800s. He literally traveled around the world preaching the gospel, leading literally tens of thousands of people to Christ. Because of the faithfulness of a little shoemaker who said, I want to I do all that I can to help children come to Jesus. D.L. Moody grew up to be an evangelist, and he went preaching the gospel, and a young man by the name of F.B. Meyer, touched by the gospel message preached by Moody, he became a preacher. Meyer, in turn, won a young man by the name of J.W. Chapman to Christ. Chapman, in turn, grew up to be a preacher and brought the message of Christ to a baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday went from there preaching the gospel in Charlotte, North Carolina, so, so touched by God was that city that they invited uh, the evangelist Mordecai Ham to come to preach the gospel. And it was while Ham was preaching that a teenager by the name of Billy Graham came and gave his life to Jesus. Now, I want you to th stop and think about that. Are you doing all that you can to make sure children come to Jesus? Are you supporting the ministry, involved in the ministry? Because I believe that in our midst will come an evangelist, a preacher, a missionary, somebody who will go forward and do great things for God. I believe that in our midst will be young people who will say, God, I want to I serve you and honor you. But I'm going to tell you this. It's absolutely God's will that we do nothing to hinder children from coming to Christ. And I'm going to tell you, that's the thing that makes Jesus really angry. Now, if you're not involved, if you're not doing what you can to make sure children come to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to talk to Marilyn, talk to Taryn about how you can get involved. If you don't have the time, then at least consider giving something to support that work so that work can go forward. 
It's our job to let children come to Jesus. I'm going to tell you more specifically, it's a parent's job. It's a parent's job to make sure that children come to Jesus. I think it's interesting that verse says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. didn't say mothers were doing this. Did you notice that? It says people. I suspect that there were mothers bringing these little children to Jesus. I suspect there were fathers bringing these little kids to Jesus. Jesus, touch them, bless them, so that they'll have a good life. Touch them so things will go well for them. I suspect maybe there were grandmothers or grandfathers bringing these kids to Jesus. Maybe there were older brothers, older sisters, I don't know. But I can tell you this, the people knew how important it was to get these children to Jesus so that they would be blessed. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart this morning because I'm going to tell you this, it's your job as a parent to get your children to Jesus and not to give up. Now can I tell you this too, by the way? Your job as a parent, are you ready for this? It doesn't stop. When your kids turn 18 years old, there's, there's not some kind of a fairy from heaven who comes down and touches them and makes them suddenly adults. Did you know that? And, and, and makes you not a parent anymore. When they turn 18, that doesn't make you now their best friend. It makes you continue to be a parent till the day they put you six feet under. Or on the mantle, <laughs> if you're cremated. You remain a parent till the end. Do you get that? It doesn't stop. And your job is to make sure that you get your children to Jesus. Now, I want to tell you this. I am so thankful to God for my grandparents, Grandpa and Grandma Duncalf, who continued to be parents even after my parents had four kids. My grandmother was a formidable force for Jesus. She would not quit pestering my mother and father. She said, Diane Lyle, get those kids to church. You don't want to go, that's your business, but you do not have the right to keep those kids from church. Get those kids to church! And my dad, knowing what my grandmother was like, told my mom to get the kids to church. <laughs> and we got to church. And my grandparents would not give up, and they prayed, and they prayed. I still remember the... You know, you know the old vanities that people used to have? Ladies' vanities were nice, great, big, round mirror, little slow stool to sit at and put your makeup on. My grandmother was a Pentecostal, didn't believe in makeup. That vanity chair was not to sit on, to put makeup on. It was to kneel on, to kneel at with her Bible open so that she could pray for her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. She didn't stop being a parent. And even as a grandparent, she kept pastoring. And we would go over there as teenagers. You know that stage when you start getting a little bit rebellious? And my grandmother would say, Alan, how's your spiritual life? And she wouldn't let me off the hook. Or my brothers, or my sister. And she'd say, are you, are you going on with the Lord? Are you serving him? Are you being faithful to God? I want to give you permission today, parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Don't stop being a parent. It's your job, and you will someday stand before God and give an account for how you parented. I give you permission to keep pesting your kids, to make sure they stay on track. Don't stop.
I don't say, I'm not telling them be mean, be nasty to them. I'm just saying make sure that you do not let them off the hook in terms of their relationship to Christ. Keep on bugging them. Keep on talking to them. Keep on telling them you got to go to church. You know what? My, I, my sister, because my grandparents made my parents get us to church, my sister became a Christian, and then I became a Christian. I came home and told my dad, and now my dad's seeing all the kids become Christians. He had no choice. He had to become one too. It was fantastic. And next thing you know, we were all going to church because my grandparents didn't stop being parents. And that whole family, all of us. And I'm going to tell you this. My family's been through some rocky roads, but all of my dad's kids go to church today. And, and their children all go to church today. Isn't that something? Now, that didn't happen by accident, my friend. That happened because we had some parents and some grandparents who took it as a personal responsibility to get their children to church. And I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, I don't want to be the bad guy. I want to be the friend. I don't want to be unpopular with my kids. Look, that is not a biblical idea at all. Where does that come from? That's a very secular idea. When your kids turn 18, you are still their parent. And when they're 25, you're still a parent. And as a parent, you should know what kind of grief and pain and sorrow awaits your kids if they choose a life far away from Christ. And everybody said, you know. You know the pain and the suffering and the heartache that happens when you don't serve Jesus. How many here wish that they had become a, a Christian when they were a child? You, you, you wasted so many years. There's so much heartache and so much pain because you didn't surrender your life to Christ as a child. You're a parent, and you can save your kids that. You can pester them. You call them. You remind them. You say, I'll see you in church. You know what my grandparents used to do? They'd tell my parents, okay, if you come to church, you can come over to our house for, for lunch. <laughs> and that's what would happen. Phone them. Just a gentle reminder. Oh, Lyle, I know it's early in the morning, but just wanted to tell you that uh, after church this morning, we'd love it if you'd come over for lunch. And so my parents would drag themselves out of bed. Okay, we better go because we've got to go to mom's. And... But wow, what an impact that had on us kids. Now, I want you to know that your kids have not lived long enough to acquire the experience that leads to good judgment. Did you know that? Can I tell you, young people, you need your parents. And you may be furious and frustrated at them because you don't agree with what they're telling you to do. Do it anyways, because you don't have the judgment that you need to make right decisions. <laughs> And all the parents said. Amen. Now I'm going to tell you this. Your parents, they, they want to make your life a good life. They want you to have a happy life. They want things to go well for you. Now I'll quit, I'll quit singling you out. I won't look at you anymore. But I want you to know this. Your parents have been given a sacred duty to raise you to serve God. Shanti Feldhan, in her fascinating book called uh, For Parents Only, she cites a study claiming that the frontal lobe of the brain doesn't fully develop until the mid-20s. So all young people are brain damaged until they're in their mid-20s. No, that's not what I'm saying. But she says this, the frontal lobe is where our reasoning skills reside. The ability to think through our decisions and come up with the right conclusion. 
We don't have that ability, or it's not well-developed. It's in the stages of being developed, where we, where we recognize that what I do today is going to have an effect on me tomorrow, and a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. And we tell, tell our children, don't have sex before you get married, because you're going to get yourself in trouble, and you're going to have a difficult life ahead. This is why we, this is why we instruct our children. The interesting thing is that if you could be, if you could somehow fast forward your life to your 40s and write a letter to yourself and send it to yourself when you're 18, do you know what you'd sound like? You'd sound like your parents. <laughs> you would become your parents because you now would have experienced what life is all about. And so here, listen, this is what you've got to understand. God has given us parents so that we we'll have someone to teach us and instruct us in the way that we should go. And so, if the frontal lobe is where our reasoning skills reside, and they're not developed until our mid-twenties, this explains why so many teenagers make wrong decisions and take, make, get involved in high-risk activities and do things they shouldn't do. And here's why it is so essential that parents step up to the plate and do the right thing by instructing their children and telling them what to do so that your children will come safely to the arms of Jesus. It's your job. Grandparents, if your children who have children aren't stepping up to the plate, then you step up to the plate. And don't you hesitate or be afraid to tell them what they need to hear. They need you to tell them the truth. They need you to say, come to Jesus. I need you to, to speak to your children, to be specific, to be vocal, to speak up. They, whether they realize it or not, they depend on you for your judgment and input. I'm going to tell you that at age 18... And at age 25, we still need our parents' guidance. At age 48, I check with glory, that's how old I am. I, at age 48, I still long for the wisdom of my parents, the wisdom of those who are older than me, to help me. Our job is to let the children come to Jesus. And so I am giving you a charge from the scripture to make sure that you do all that you can to make sure your children come to Jesus, whatever age they are. Don't give up. Don't stop pastoring them. Don't stop nagging them. And you can blame me. You can say, look, I don't want to do this. Pastor Allen told me to do it. I'm just doing my job. I'll get excommunicated if I don't. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, you I want you to come to church. Sean, I'm going to ask you to come right now and sing that song. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Would you stand with me and sing that?